Some of you heard this story, but when I was 14 years old, my parents sent me to Mombasa, Kenya by myself for two months. I arrived in the Nairobi airport in Kenya, waiting for my friends, uh, my parents' friends to be there to pick me up, and they were not there. This is before cell phones. This is uh, not the 1-800-COLLECT on the payphones time either in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, so here I am in the Nairobi airport, a 14-year-old white kid. I, I think I was the only white person around uh, in this foreign land. And uh, God bless my parents. They gave me a phone number to contact if uh, something would happen. The phone number they gave me was the fax number uh, for these people. So again, here I am, this 14-year-old kid from America in the Nairobi airport uh, alone uh, and these two lovely Kenyan ladies, Christian Kenyan ladies, took me in. Uh, and the next day, they had gotten the wrong day, this family from Mombasa came and picked me up from these Kenyan ladies' home. Have you ever felt left behind like that? How about the day after Christmas? Were all of your hopes and dreams fulfilled yesterday? Or do you still feel left behind? Maybe it's that feeling of the food you ate yesterday that uh, the sugar coma is done and you feel let down today. Maybe it's the realization that nothing really magical happened yesterday. You're still going to go back to your job next week. That Hallmark movie that, pro that promised Mr. Wright to come during Christmas time did not come. It didn't snow. Nothing magical happened. Some of us still feel let down, still feel like Christmas has come and it's just back to it, especially in this time of a pandemic. We wonder, will it end? Well, we have been in Advent, that season of anticipation and coming and now we are in Christmas time, the time of arrival. But we still hear from people, even in this in-between time of Christ has come and Christ will come again, that people that still long desire for Christ to come. And maybe you feel that longing even more because it is now after Christmas and it did not fulfill what you wanted. We're going to hear from a passage this morning. Again, one that's very familiar in the Christmas time. Sometimes it's preached before Christmas, but I'm going to preach it during Christmas tide. It comes from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to let this story unfold for us. So I'm only going to read a couple of verses now. And then we'll keep reading as the story goes on. So let's pay attention, shall we? Follow me, it's imprinted in your worship guide. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, I will start with. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. 
but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. The word of the Lord. Well, here we are going to be confronted this morning with both a large-scale problem and a small-scale problem. Call it a macro problem and a micro problem. The macro problem is this. This is the days of King Herod. This is 400 years after the book we've been going through, Nehemiah. We'll pick back up with Nehemiah next week and the week after. It's very fitting to know what's happened in that 400-year period from where we've been studying in Nehemiah until here, the opening of the Gospels, Matthew, both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is 400 years later. Josephus tells us, the famous historian of the first century, that uh, since this time of Artaxerxes, 400 years before, there has not been prophets or angels Instead, we have seen that the Greeks, after the Persians, have taken over Israel, then the Egyptians, and then the Syrians. And then the Israelites gained their own independence during the Maccabee period of time. But then the Romans took over. And that is what Israel is living in now, thinking that they had their freedom, thinking that they were going to be fine, and now they are under Roman rule. This is called the religio lectia, the way that the Romans ruled Israel at this time. They allowed them to practice their own religion, but they put up their own kind of puppet government. And here is mentioned in the days of Herod, king of Judea. The Herodians were kind of dictated by the Romans, and many of the Jewish people did not like Herod and those that were ruling under Caesar and the Romans. So that is the macro problem that Israel's facing. Wanting to go out of this kind of Roman rule, wanting to go back to their own freedom, and it's gotten better and better, and now it has gotten worse. Will God come? Will they be free? And then we are also faced in verses 5 through 7, a micro-problem. Two individuals, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Like others in biblical history, they're waiting for a child. But here we kind of get the double whammy of problems for these two. Both, they are righteous and good from the lineage of Aaron and also, Zechariah is a priest. Here they have all this going for them, all these pious things about them. But they have no child. You can imagine this feeling of barrenness would have been very difficult. Difficult for this couple who was advanced in years. So we have two problems at the same time. Prayers that seem to be unanswered. Where is God after 400 years of silence? Where is God for Zechariah and Elizabeth? 
I find it interesting that sometimes we seem to gravitate either one to the other, the macro, the micro problem of which God can answer. Some of us in this time of the pandemic and what's going on with the world and what's happening around us, we do worry about that a lot. We're anxious. We worry about what will happen economically, what will happen to our health, what is happening to our democracy. And we worry about this. It might keep some of us up at night. And we wonder, where is God? Will God work in these bigger problems? Some of us worry about not so much those things. We trust that God will provide. There's nothing I can do in those things. Just trust him to control those issues. But some of us worry about the small things in our lives. We worry about the day-to-day, how we're going to provide for our family, or how our kids are going to do, or what I'm going to do tomorrow, or what it's going to look like. We just live in this anxiousness the day-to-day, the small things of life are what we worry about. Some of us, again, gravitate towards worrying about the big things. Some of us worry about in our own lives the small things. What's beautiful about this passage, which I like so much, is that we can see that this great God that we worship can fulfill both. He can work in the macro issues And also in the micro issues at the same time. Let's see how he does it, shall we? Verses 8 through 17. Now, while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen, chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Well, here we get to see temple worship, something that we've seen quite a bit in Nehemiah. We've also learned about the priests, and we know Zechariah is one of these priests. And there were two one-week periods where the priests would all gather together for sacrifices. And they would give these perpetual offerings and prayers for the nation of Israel as atonement. And there was this special thing that by lot, one of the priests would be chosen to go into the Holy of Holies after the atonement to burn incense. You've got to imagine there was probably 18,000 priests at this time in Israel. 
So this is an opportunity that Zechariah received a kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be chosen by Lot to go in to the Holy of Holies. This is amazing that we have this opportunity. Again, you have to realize when we talk about the temple, this is the way that God shows himself. This is his presence to the people. And going into the Holy of Holies was being able to be in his presence. Many of us think, well, obviously, if you're in the Holy of Holies, angels show up all the time. And again, we've mentioned this before, but when we are at Christmas time and we think about the Bible, we think that angels show up everywhere all the time. That's just not the case. It's been 400 years since all the way at Daniel where we've heard about angels. But we see an angel shows up which is miraculous. One, that he gets chosen to go into the Holy Holies. Two, that an angel shows up. And the angel says, your prayers have been answered. There's much debate among commentators about which prayer has been answered. Some would argue the prayer that's being answered is that God is showing up to Israel in general, that he is showing up to show himself that Emmanuel will come, the Messiah will come. That is the prayer that is being answered. Some commentators argue that the prayer that's being answered is the prayer of Zechariah, that he and his wife would bear a child, that that is the prayer that is being answered. Maybe I'm being a politician but I think it's both. Both are being answered at the same time. That's not my own opinion. Daryl Bach has the same opinion at Dallas Theological Seminary. But that's what I agree with, that both these prayers are being answered right here. You have to realize the very name John means your prayer has been heard. You have to realize the complexity of Zechariah's situation. He has been trying to pray constantly as a priest, one entering into God's presence, but he's wondered, where is God? Both him and his wife are older, and they've been longing for a child for so long, and the prayers have not been answered. Also, the prayers of Israel, the longing for God to come 400 years over other people's oppression, then being freed and then going under Roman rule. Where is God? You know, Christmas can be a letdown. Again, you get a break and then you go back to a job you just don't believe in. People promise you hope and all these things. And the next day comes, like today, and you wonder, what is there for me? Patience is one thing, but some of us wonder, where is God when we feel like He has just forgotten us? I 
I really love St. John of the Cross. He's an early church father that wrote a great book called The Dark Night of the Soul. He gives a few great points for us if you are in that place this morning. I want to encourage you that maybe for those that have maybe felt forgotten or feel let down today, that one thing that St. John of the Cross reminds us is that others have been there. Others have been there like you might feel right now. People like Zechariah or other characters in this even story in Luke. People that have longed and felt forgotten. It's really the story of Israel at times. The longing. So hopefully that is an encouragement that others have been there before you. The second thing St. John of the Cross talks about is that a relationship with God is not something where we just act like he is our puppet. That we ask him for things and he just gives us what he wants. He gives us what we want. That we just don't have that kind of relationship where it's not dynamic. Where it's just, again, the vending machine where we put in the quarters pull the slot, and out comes whatever we want. No, it's actually this living, dynamic relationship. And you think about how God is in this living, active relationship with Zechariah. I encourage you, if you want to read on, Zechariah gives a prophecy later in the end of chapter 1. And it is just beautiful. Here's just two verses the end of this prophecy. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. It took a dynamic relationship with Zechariah who longed who was a priest both for his people and for his own family, to be able to write such words of richness for Israel and for us, the church today, that through this dynamic relationship, God was revealing himself to Zechariah so beauty could come from his lips and his tongue so he could be able to speak to us of tender mercy of God, even in darkness, even in the shadow of death, that he will guide our feet in the way of peace. St. John of the Cross, lastly, talks about purifying silence. The times that we feel so forgotten, that we go to the Lord and we say, God, where are you? Help me. And it comes to the point where we ask God, God, are you good? Do you really care about me? What is your character? I don't know if you've ever been in that place. But it can be a very rich place when we go to God in there asking God, show me your character. Show me 
your goodness. Seasons of purifying silence. I won't go into it, but if you ever want to know what that's like, I've been there. (laughs) And it's rich, and it's beautiful, and God shows up. He does. But you've got to allow yourself to get there. Well, surely Zechariah will not respond poorly. I mean, the angel has come. He's one of 18,000 that's come into the Holy of Holies. He has been told this good news that he will have a son. He will respond in the right way. Right? I mean, we would. If we were in the Holy of Holies and saw an angel... We would respond correctly. Let's see how Zechariah responds, shall we? And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended... He went to his home. You've got to wonder, show me a sign, right? How shall I know? He has the audacity to ask the angel this. Don't worry, that's, he's in good company with other people in church history and in the Bible. How is this good news that the angel would silence him. I would say this. This passage is amazing. And I'm going to make this argument this morning. The reason this passage is such good news for us is that even a priest, even a righteous man like Zechariah needs to know that a Savior is for him. Why would you make him not be able to speak? Well, you have to realize the setting. So here he is. This guy goes into the Holy of Holies to see if God is, you know, to to be able to offer the incense. And some miraculous things might happen there, right? But it's been 400 years. And all these people, probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people are outside waiting to see what will happen and receive the benediction. And for 400 years, it's probably been routine that the priest would come out and raise his hands and give the benediction, right? And here comes Zechariah out of the Holy of Holies. I would imagine his face is probably pretty like seeing the glory of God, like, like astounded, 
and now he's not able to speak. And people are wondering, what happened, right? They can't say anything. And also, the irony is, he's supposed to pronounce the blessing to the people. And now he can't give them a blessing. Again, these are not my thoughts, but others. The good news of this passage is that God is showing that man will not pronounce the blessing, but I will pronounce the blessing. I will provide. You long, you wait, you think you can do it. Israel, you think you can raise, um, rise to prominence. You think you can war and make it happen. I will be the one who provides the person that will prepare the way for the one to come. That not even from your priests, not even from your own lips will it be able to come. I will provide. Uh, I was, it was our uh, third year in seminary. I was working two jobs. Aaron was working two jobs. I was working at a church in Boulder, Colorado. We had just had a kid. I realized we had basically no money left to uh, live on and to go to seminary. Uh, they cut my job from the church, and uh, I was like, what are we going to do? I was distraught. You know, talk about those dark nights of the soul. Going to the Lord, how are you going to provide for us? Uh, we uh, had a relative die uh, at that time, and then we came into some money. <laughs> God provided. And I remember... I no longer was doing ministry. I was now lo no longer working this other job. It was a summer with just Ellie living on this property with these people that were horrendous to us. They had to move from the property too. They left and they said, oh, you can just stay here by yourself on this, like, what is it, like a 20-acre property in the middle of Denver, gorgeous, by ourselves, not having to deal with these people anymore. No job with our daughter, and only had one class, a Hebrew class. We call it the best summer of our lives. It was amazing. Silence. That's what God gives us. I'll show you. I'll show you my goodness. I'll show you my faithfulness. We serve a great God. Will you allow him to work? I know the skeptics around here. I know them. Maybe you're one of them. Great, Dan, thanks. Yeah, prayer works for you. doesn't work for me. Seems like a great coincidence that that happened at that time for you. I love 
one of Spurgeon's story, stories on prayer. He tells about an older lady, lady who was hungry and was praying for food. Two thieves had stolen some bread, and the cops were after them to get rid of the evidence. And they threw the bread into the window of this older lady. And one of the robbers said to the other, I bet that old lady thought God did that. We can just put it away to coincidence, put it away, that's the way that it falls. Or we can believe that there is a transcendent God that does work and answers our prayers through ordinary means to provide for his children. But the best part is the very end. One character that we seem to forget about in the story. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I love how it shifts to Elizabeth. I love how it goes to this woman that might have felt much shame. Actually, the very word, he's taken away my re reproach, Onidas in Greek, means to be covered in shame. And now she is saying, the Lord has taken away my shame. Here is a woman, descendant of the great priest Aaron, and a great lineage, righteous and older. Her husband is a priest. You could imagine how she might have felt, where is God for me? That I am barren. And here's the thing, in God's goodness and his greatness, he did not just provide for Elizabeth. He also provided that she would give birth to John the Baptist. One that would reveal the shame of Israel and their sin. And one that would talk about one that would come that would take all of their shame. I know this might sound like a downer message at Christmas time, right? But I do feel like we are living in an age, in a time, that many of us feel like we have been forgotten. We've been isolated. We have worried about our health. We've worried about our nation. We've worried about things that have gone individually in our families, division over things. And we wonder, Will it ever get better? And that shame and worry and oppression that Elizabeth might have felt or Zachariah might have felt might be very true for us. But this passage right here points to the hope we can cling to. 
that there is one that has come to take our shame, to take our worry, to take the feelings that we are in as a nation or individually. And I'll close with this. It's a quote from Bernard of Clairvaux, also an early church father. I hope you will cling to this. If you feel forgotten this Christmas, if you feel shame, you feel anxiety, you feel forgotten, here is what Clairvaux says. Oh my God, deep calls unto deep. The deep of my profound misery calls to the deep of your infinite mercy. We can call to the infinite mercy of our Savior Jesus Christ that has come to take our shame. Even if we feel forgotten, we are not. He has answered the micro problem and the macro problem. And hopefully you will find encouragement from his word today.